from 99.9 The Fan. This is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. UConn beats North Carolina. So Tar Heels fans, probably not jacked up right now. But while you were watching it, you can't say it wasn't a good time. That was a fun game. Early in the season, really great atmosphere. Two, I believe, really good teams that uh, that have different ways to grow as the, the, the season goes along. It was a really good experience for both both teams. And a reminder to, to UNC that um, there are teams out there that have things cooking in a pretty good direction. UConn is officially a uh, reloading team, reloading program rather than a rebuilding. But, uh, pretty incredible what they were able to do. They lost two of their top – they lost their top two scorers from a season ago. Three starters, two key reserves. Now, granted, they won the national championship last year, so they lost all of that from a pretty good team, but they were still really good despite losing all of that. So North Carolina knows, all right, we're, we're not just trying to chase down teams. We're trying to chase down teams that are getting better, right? It's not just chasing down a team that's stagnant. You're, you're trying to chase down the top uh, of the, the country because that's what North Carolina is chasing, right? They were up to top 10 in the country. Chasing down teams that are actively getting better. You have to get better at a faster rate than they do if you want to catch them. Here's Hubert Davis, the head coach of the Tar Heels, on UConn's crispness. They do a really good job executing. We made um, a change uh, defensively. Um, in the first half, in terms of any, you know, off the ball action, we were switching one through four because they just have so much screening. We felt like that'll put us in a good position to protect the paint and contest the three. Uh, this is the best that they've shot from the three um, this season. And then in the second half, I just felt like in the first half, they're, you know, they were just in a really good rhythm. So uh, in the first half, we tried one possession of, you know, a one three one zone. Uh, Spencer hit a three on that one. And then the second half, we started uh, picking up full court. We started um, doubling ball screens. And it sped them up and took them out of rhythm. And that's, I think, a huge reason why we were able to cut it to five and get it to six. And we just couldn't get over that hump. I, I want to give a reason to UNC, okay? If you've listened to the show, you know I think there's a big difference between excuses and reasons. An excuse is you're making something up. It's, uh, you know, basically bogus. A reason is that's a real reason. UConn made some shots that I don't think they can consistently make last night. Specifically in, in that middle part, kind of the, the end of the first, beginning of the second half, th there were some, like, hey, we, we got possession. It was it was knocked away, a little fumble, uh, scooped it up. There's one second on the shot clock, taking it from, from well beyond their range, and they were knocking them down. You know, in football, we used to say good coverage, better throw. Like, if you play great defense all the way to the end of the shot clock and they knock down a Steph Curry range catch and shoot, you tip your hat to them and you run back on the other side. I'm not sure North Carolina is going to be upset with themselves for that defensive possession, even though they come away, you know, giving up the three. There's a, there was some of that, right? I'm not sure, right, because the, 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 the one argument is UConn, you know, got in foul trouble, didn't play great, still won by 11. The other is I think if they play that game 10 times, you know, one of, you know maybe UConn wins six. 
as they're they're presently constructed. I, I don't think that was a runaway, like super lopsided matchup of any kind. We talked yesterday about the matchup of the bigs. Donovan Klingon for UConn, the lottery pick, going up against the veteran with every trick in the book, Armando Baycott. Armando won that individual battle. Klingon was in foul trouble, and, and that wasn't an accident, right? Armando was, was you know, every kind of pump fake and lean in and draw in contact, and like that, Klingon was in foul trouble. That's part of being a young guy against a veteran big is they're going to try to get you in foul trouble. But then the, this Cam Spencer guy came around. Public enemy number one. He said, all right, my 7-2 guy that's supposed to be feuding with Armando Baycott today, they're supposed to be going at it. Well, my 7-2 guy got in foul trouble. I'll take it upon myself. Whether I'm 100% physically or not, I'm I'm now the, the, the arch enemy of Armando Baycott, and he got his shots in. Right, He started taking over that individual battle, and he was holding his own against Armando Baycott. The techs, the, the, the jawing, the, you know, you, every, every hard bucket and rebound you get down low, I'm going to make a, a difficult drive or, or a shot. There was a lot of that. So give Cam Spencer credit. It's not easy to go up against Armando and, and, and not lose ground, especially when you're not, you know, 6'9 and above. Here's Armando Baycott on his interactions with Cam Spencer. Yeah, I mean, he was, I don't know, he was saying things he wouldn't say to me if we was in a park or something, but it's all good. He had a great game, so yeah. credit to him. Yeah, it looked like he got some, yeah, even on the technical free throw, shoot one, say something. Yeah, no, he was amped up, but, I mean, it's all good. It's fine. Yeah, it was a good battle. It, again, I didn't. Th- I I expected going into that game. You can go back and listen to the show from yesterday. I was I was excited for Armando to be in a mano e mano matchup. I was not expecting it to be with Cam Spencer. I mean, Tim, you would have thought Cam Spencer played for Duke with how North Carolina fans were getting upset with him, and then also just some of the three point shots he was making kind of remind me a little bit of Grayson Allen in a sense. Don't, you don't want to do that to North Carolina. Start mixing Cam Spencer and Grayson Allen memories. It'd be a rough one. Uh, here's here like okay, so that's the. By the way, you know, the mecca of basketball, the atmosphere was great. All, all, all of those, like, it all played well. Jimmy V Classic, like, it all played well. The actual X's and O's of it, I think it's a depth thing. I fully, when I watch North Carolina, I fully trust R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott, and Harrison Ingram. Harrison Ingram being the, the, the new transfer, the other two guys being around forever. Fully trust them. R.J. Davis may have showed up a little late, but once he got going, he got going. Armando with 13 and 13. Harrison Ingram, I trust a bunch. He's established himself quickly. And actually, I saw on, on Twitter there was a big debate on like who the alpha is on this team. It's, it's R.J. Davis, and Armando Baycott doesn't back down from anybody. It's either of those guys, and I like Harrison Ingram on top. It's the depth thing. Out, outside of those three, I'm not sure I trust anyone for North Carolina. Outside of R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott, and Harrison Ingram, I'm not sure I trust anyone. Cormac Ryan was brought into the program in part because he's a guy that can stretch and space and knock down the three. He went 0 for 6 from 3 last night. He's shooting 25% uh, from 3 on the season. Elliot Cadeau, somebody's got to get in his face and say, you belong here. You're an equal as a scorer. Go get your own bucket. I think his passing, it shows through, but but – in order for me to fully trust Elliot Cadeau, and I am very high on that guy, in order for me to fully trust him, I need him to, to look at himself 
and R.J. Davis and Baycott and Ingram and the rest of this starting five and say, I am an equal when it comes to scoring the basketball. It's a depth thing. UConn trusted more of their players, and they lived up to that trust. When Klingon got in foul trouble, they had other guys coming in and stepping up. UNC did a lot that I like. UConn did a lot that I like. Most of the UNC stuff that I liked watching that game came from three guys. UConn, yes, Spencer played well. Yes, the, you know they, they had a few guys that, that took over at stretches, but it was just a much more depth thing. So, so if there's a point of emphasis for UNC moving forward, it's get your depth right. Get your rotations right. Who's coming off the bench, and are they ready to be trusted in big moments, like an MSG against the number four or five team in the country? That's why you play those games, to figure those things out. Did you know that your unused medications could end up in the wrong hands? It's important to keep your medication secure in a locked location, such as a locking box or locking cabinet. When it's time to dispose of them, safety and properly dispose of old, expired, or unused meds by using an at-home disposal product or a medication disposal box in your community. Don't miss out on medication take-back events happening near you. Don't let anyone take what's yours. Lock your meds. Be aware. Don't share. Learn more at lockyourmeds.org nc. Are you ready for the big game? At The Designery, we can help you arrange your kitchen in the perfect way to feed everyone coming over for the big game. I'm Dana Merrill, the owner of The Designery in North Raleigh. And I am True Merrill. The Designery grand opening, we're scheduled to open May 16th and do our grand opening party then. We're going to be catering some food. We're doing some giveaways. We have a VR headset, an Echo Show, some kitchen gadgets, and some fancy knives. 12 to 2 p.m. Please stop by our showroom, 3030 Wake Forest Road. That's The Designery at The designery.com it is 402 do you know where your head football coach is what if you don't have one? for every power five school other than duke they're like yeah he's recruiting yeah he's getting ready for a bowl game yeah he's perusing the transfer portal yeah he's in charlotte talking to david tepper <laughs> jim harbaugh joke uh yeah he's he's talking to our collective yeah he's at a fundraiser yeah, he's wearing a hard hat, walking through our new facilities being built. Everyone knows where their coach is except for Duke football because they don't have one. They're coachless, head coachless. And the excuses are running out. Every day it's the same thing. Every day, getting ready to go on air here, we're like, hey, Duke still doesn't have a coach. Is it a problem? Yeah. Why? For all the reasons we've said it's a problem since last Thursday. About last Thursday, I started going like, well, you know, today would probably be a good, you know, you're starting to push it, probably be a good day to announce your coach. Friday at the latest. Friday came, like, it's the same. I'm a broken record. Now, I can understand if you're like, we're waiting for the right guy. Who are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? Do you know what this is? It's a lack of self-respect by the Duke football program. It's a lack of respect for yourself as a program. Waiting for everyone else to choose their coach than selecting from the leftovers is disrespectful to yourself. Well, we got to wait to see who everybody else takes, then we'll pick from you know, all the ones they don't want. It's the wrong way to go about it. You're wasting two years of success. The Mike Elko era, I know you're hurt. 
I know you're a bit petty right now. I know you want you want revenge, and you don't like that he left in the middle of the night, and you don't like that he just showed up at Texas A&M saying this is where I belong after you felt like he was whispering the same sweet nothings in your ear. But the Mike Elko era was a success. You went to back-to-back bowl games. You had players that were brought in by Cutcliffe and developed by Elko that became stars. It was a success. You can build off of that success, but every minute that goes by, you don't have your coach. You are getting significantly worse, and you are losing ground significantly on those you compete against. Louisville snagged a quarterback out of the portal. North Carolina plucked a quarterback out of the portal. NC State flipped Elijah Groves, a top 150 recruit from Kentucky today. He was committed to Kentucky, not anymore. Now he's committed to NC State. Your rivals are getting better. Jacquez Moore hit the transfer portal for Duke. One of your running backs, a major contributor to your offense. At times, one of the only things that was going well for your offense this year. He was great for you down the stretch. He went into the transfer portal today. So not only are your rivals getting better, you are getting worse. You know what's interesting about uh, his post? What is that? He has one year of eligibility. I want to uh, say thank you to Coach David Cutcliffe and his staff for giving me the opportunity to chase my dreams. No mention of Mike Elko. That that bitterness, I get it. Mm -hmm. I understand, and it makes sense. But if you're Duke, you have to you have to look towards the future, right? You arrive with like, uh, what's the 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 classic eighth grade math equation? If a train is going in east at, at 80 miles an hour and another train is going west at 60 miles an hour, how far apart will they be in an hour? 140 miles, yep. if I did that correct. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Came up with that one on the spot. Thank you very much. Well, how about this? If the other ACC programs are getting better at two transfers a day and you're getting worse at an entire transfer portal a day, we'll say four or five, over a week, how much better are they than you? A whole bunch. A whole gosh darn bunch. And it would be one thing if you had somebody out there grinding, right? If, if Jacquez Moore had to sit through the pitch of the new coach, hey, here's how we're going to use you. Here's why we're going to be successful. Here's the players we're, we're envisioning putting around you. Here's what our offensive coordinator is going to do. And he still wanted to hit the portal. Okay, right? Then that that's like, you know, that comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. That's I, at least I can sleep at night knowing we did everything we could do. At least you tried. At least you tried. The man in the arena. But if you never even got a coach to call him because the coach hasn't even been named, ah, that's a lot worse. That's a missed opportunity. How, like, I am, I, I imagine, okay, that everybody that gets into sports as a, a career has a certain amount of competitive juices, right? Because, like, if you just wanted to be a manager, there are a lot of industries where it's easier to become a manager than it is to be, like, uh, an athletic director, right? It's a very competitive world. You have to work very, very hard. You have to get lucky. Like, it, But it's worth it because you get to be around sports. You get to be around athletes. You get to be around 
uh, the competition. You get to compete for trophies. You get to compete with a scoreboard. Like, that's why it's worth it, right? Mm -hmm. That's why you're an athletic director and not, like, you know, a regional manager of of a supply goods store. Because right? you can you can manage people and you can do all that, but you wanted to be around sports. How does your competitive juices not kick in and get you moving towards hiring a coach when you see how much it's hurting your team? You are you are less likely to win games in the ACC today than you would have been if you named your coach on Friday. How does that not eat you alive as a competitor? How? If I were somebody in the hiring circle, or if, if I like like I, I would I wouldn't have slept over the last four days. And if I tried to, like I'm gonna try to lay down. It'd probably be the couch in my office, right? I'm gonna try to lay down for a couple hours. I would just lay there and think of who should we hire? How can I get them to hire? What do they need to hear? How can I I, I make this more appealing? Could we come up with a little bit more money? What if we we moved this funding or go, okay, do we have to spend that much there? Could I get another couple hundred grand a year to offer to in the assistant coaching pool? Would that be enough to get them to commit to coming here? Why aren't why why isn't that happening? Why isn't that happening? Riley Leonard's in the transfer portal. Your next coach may or may not love Henry Beelan and or Grayson Loftus. Right? If they, if they don't, they're going to have to have a serious conversation with those guys, and they're going to have to hit the portal. And I know there's a lot of quarterbacks in the portal, but they're starting to commit. Brock Vandegrift committed to Kentucky. Right? There's a lot of options out there, yes, but there's a lot of places looking for quarterbacks too. And the longer you wait, the longer you wait, the longer you wait, the worse position you'll be in. As a competitor, that's pretty darn frustrating.